Good morning. Open your Bibles with me, if you will, to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Uh, I know that's not what it says in the, uh, in the bulletin. It's okay. It really is. A uh, little last-minute change uh, this morning. And I uh, texted Gordon and said, hey, who's reading scripture? I don't remember. And said, we need, need to change this. And, um, you know, it just happens sometimes. Um, just to tell you the purpose of that. Um, and not to get your hopes up, nor to lower your expectations. But my aim is brevity, Okay. It's to be brief. I hear the chuckles, and I've noticed the chuckles, and I've noted the chuckles. You're making it into my sermon next time. Why did Jesus come? Sounds like a brief sermon, doesn't it? Why did Jesus come? In John chapter 1, we see uh, and I believe it tells us a number of things, uh, many of which we will not touch, but I want to point out three ways and three uh, things that we can look to uh, to identify why he came. And those three things are this. Number one, he came to display the infinite nature of God. He came to display the infinite nature of of God. Secondly, he came to display the intimate nature of God. Lastly, he came to display the invincible nature of God. Verse 18 says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He, Jesus, has made him, the Father, known. So Jesus came to put on display the love and grace and mercy and goodness of God. Himself being God. He came in physical form to show the world. And so that these narratives could be written to explain to us Jesus Christ. And explain to us how he puts on display the Father, how he has made him known. And so I want to put a focus on why he came. First, I want us to see that he came to display the infinite nature of God. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him, not anything was made that was made. I want us to see that this infinite nature of God is that he is eternal. It starts off there in R.K. In R.K. Hain. That's the Greek. In R.K. Archaic. We get the word archaic from R.K. In the beginning, he's archaic, if you will. Uh, understanding about Jesus, 
to understand who Jesus is, you need to kind of understand where he came from. And may I say he came from nowhere because he is eternal. That's what the scripture is telling us. Uh, it doesn't say that he was from the beginning. It says that he was in the beginning. The beginning of the world was not the beginning of the word. Jesus Christ, the word was already in the beginning. He was already present when the beginning began. He himself had no beginning, but he began all things. He came to put on display the infinite nature of God. He is eternal. You have the living God and you have three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Prior to his incarnation, he was obviously in spiritual form. And then he came here. The writer of Hebrews uh, tells us that Jesus came in this world. And it says that he, uh, uh, I'm going to have to turn there because I tend to forget things. But it says that he came into this world and when he came into this world in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, it says, there, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and founder of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It says there, who for the joy that was set before him. What joy was set before him? What's he talking about there? The word there for for is anti, anti. It's that which is against. Against the joy that was before him, he endured the cross. Instead of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What joy? Oh, it was the joy of glory. Understand that this eternal Son of God was with the Father for all eternity until he came here. Instead of the glory. Imagine Jesus before the incarnation. I mean, myriads upon myriads upon myriads of angels sang his praises I mean they glorified him they just praised him and they sang to him and they said worthy are you can y'all imagine that I mean I have to stop Gina from singing praises about me all the time you know she just sings, how wonderful you are. And all these love songs, just sings to me. No, she doesn't. She doesn't really. But imagine that. 
He just basked in the glory he deserved. And instead of the joy of glory, he stepped into a world of gloom. Just so you know what Hebrews 12 is talking about there. This infinite God, this eternal God, said we're going to fulfill this plan that we established before the foundation of the world. This definite plan as Peter referred to it in his sermon on the day of Pentecost. This definite plan we're going to put into play. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Born of a virgin. He stepped out of glory into gloom. Being eternal, he does not change. He... he, he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The plan of the gospel of redemption, of salvation, has not changed. He does not change. God is not subject to the whims of mankind. Well, this is 2021. Well, let me tell you something. Before the foundation of the world, God was as he is, and he is as he was here in the 21st century. And by the way, he's not in the 21st century. He's in eternity, and he sees all of it. I should have worn my mic. Now, he sees all of it simultaneously. He's not scratching his head as to what's going to happen tomorrow. He already knows. He sees the beginning from the end, and he sees the end from the beginning. And he sees it all at the same time. And the beauty of this is it means that this unchanging God does not change his mind. And when he redeems you, he redeems you forever. And his only means of redemption is Jesus Christ, and he's not changing that. Jesus came to display the infinite nature of God. But he also came to display the intimate nature of God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So much so that we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. I mean, he came, the word, Jesus, the son of God, the second person of the Trinity, became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt, by the way, is the Greek word is used in the Septuagint. That's the Greek translation of the Old Testament for the word tabernacle. He tabernacled among us. He pitched his tent amongst troubled people. 
I mean, he tabernacled, he dwelt among us. He had these 12 men that he hung out with all the time. Uh, they shared meals together. They walked many miles together. He felt the heat of the sun, and he felt the cool of the water splash up on his back and went, woo-hoo, just like we do, with no sin ever. He came and he, he touched people. In Luke chapter 4, he stands up in the synagogue and he has the opportunity to read and he asks for the scroll of Isaiah. And he took Isaiah and he read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And it says he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And he said to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He read a passage like that when John the Baptist questioned while he was in prison. And he sent word through his disciples and he said, hey, uh, are you the one or should we wait for another? Doubt had arisen in him. And Jesus read a similar passage to this, quoted it, did all this healing. He said, you go back and tell John. The blind have received their sight, the deaf they hear, the lame they walk. You keep believing, John. I'm worth dying for. And he did. The ministry of Jesus while he was on this earth and continues to be transformative. We see here that the poor get good news. The captives are set free. The sight, the blind receive sight. That's transformative for those who are in those situations. The blind see. Can you imagine what that would be like? I can't. I can't imagine. I can close my eyes and walk around and bump into things. I can do that. But I can never imagine receiving sight, never having had it. That's life-changing. But I don't think the life-changing aspect ends with the physical healing there's a transformation of the heart that takes place and when he saves us he changes us and transforms us and makes us new those he touched he changed and not merely physically Some would say, well, I'm unacceptable. You know, lepers back in the day of Jesus were not permitted to be necessarily among the general population, and they often had to cry out, unclean, when people gave, came near them as a warning, as though the skin falling off their body wasn't enough warning. 
And one day Jesus was in the city and one of those lepers, desperate evidently for healing, came into the city, fell on his knees before Jesus and said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus did what was not permissible by law. He reached out and he touched that man. And he said, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately he was clean. And Jesus said, hey, don't tell anybody about this. Go to the priest, show yourself. Do what's, what the law says. Well, he started off his changed life with disobedience. He ran and told everybody, hey, I was the leper. That was me. I was the one the skin was falling off of. Look, I'm whole. I'm clean. How'd this happen? Jesus, he did it. Those who find themselves or think themselves, I'm, I'm unacceptable. I want you to know that if Jesus is willing to save you, he will. And if you hear him calling today, he will save you. Come to him. He was intimate. He was up close. He touched him. Because he touches the unacceptable and the untouchable and the unreachable and the unlovable. Some people think, well, you know, that may be true, but, you know, I'm, I'm old and I'm set in my ways. and It's just too late for me. I'm too late. While Jesus hung on the cross, he had a couple of guys cursing him. And one of them had a transforming thought going on. And he told the other one, he said, man, don't you fear God? We deserve to be up here, but this guy, he hadn't done anything wrong. He said, we're getting what we deserve. You might think the thief on the cross would be thinking, you know, it's just too late for me. But Jesus looked over at him after he said these things, and he says, I want you to know this is a mighty good day. Now let me tell you how good a day it is. Today, you will be with me in paradise. <laughs> That's a good day, don't you think? Intimacy, even there on the cross. Hey, you're going to be with me in paradise. It's not too late. You're not unacceptable to God. Except that you don't repent and believe. Repent and believe. Trust him. He came and tabernacled here. He came and dwelt among us. And put on display here. Here's the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Come to me. Jesus came to display the infinite nature of God, the intimate nature of God, and to display the invincible nature 
of God. In John chapter 1, verse 4, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the light of the world. He even says at some point, you're the light of the world. Not because you have a good light, but because I'm your light, is what Jesus is saying. But here it's describing the word, describing this God, describing this one who is coming in the flesh. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That word overcome. It's a word that has a couple of different meanings. It's actually used twice. In verse 12, it says, but to all who did receive him. That's the word lambano. Lambano there and lambano up in verse 5 also. But they both have a prefix. Uh, To receive is paralambano, to come along one side one and grab hold of. Okay? Kata. Lumbano is to press down and take hold of. So to overcome, kata meaning above, and particularly it's speaking of dominion, pressing down, overcoming. And so that's the word that we're looking for. And one thing is to understand. It means to understand, to take hold of something with your mind. Okay? Another uh, way of understanding it is to overcome, as I just described. I mean, evil men nailed Jesus to the cross because they did not understand he was the king of kings and lord of lords. I mean, they didn't understand that. At the cross, they believed that they overcame him, but they didn't. He rose. Hallelujah, he arose. Last night I mentioned he was born to die and he died to rise. And he rose to ascend and he ascended to return so that he would reign forever. They thought they overcame him, but they didn't. There's a reason for that. Light overcomes darkness there's a couple of things we need to see and understand about light and darkness light shines in the darkness you can't see darkness in the light but you can see light in the darkness throughout the years rebellious men have been unable to squelch and quench the light of Christ. Light cannot be overcome by darkness. It just simply can't be overcome. Go ahead and try it. Gather you up some darkness and shine it in some light. You can't do it. But when you go to gather up some darkness, just before you do that, will you give me a call because I want to see that happen? Do you realize that you can't you can't manufacture darkness? 
You can't bundle it up. and If you can, please help me to understand how. There's darkness in terms of the darkness of our sinfulness. And metaphorically, that's what we're seeing. But you won't gather up darkness and use it to overcome light. Evil men. Evil men. Captured him. Nailed him to a cross. Murdered him. It was murder, by the way. And he was put in a borrowed tomb because he only needed a three-day rental. And he rose. Why? Because all in the darkness of those three days that was in the mind and the hearts of his disciples, light could not be overcome. And he rose. He rose. They could not overcome the darkness. He is the light of the world. And he says, you are the light of the world. Not because you're that good, but because he's that good and that powerful that he works light in the likes of us, the totally depraved. God's never had anything to work with on this earth except sinners save Jesus. It's all he's ever had. And you might think yourself unacceptable and you might think yourself uh, too late. But Jesus says this, whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. I'll not throw you away. I'll not do away with you. I'll take your ugliness and your brokenness and your despair and your depression. I'll take everything that you have. I'll take all that you have and I'll absorb it and I'll take it upon myself and I'll give you a new life and I'll give you new hope that you've never experienced before. I will set you free from the bonds of sin. And I will show you a path of righteousness. And I want you to know that path will never be destroyed. No one will ever blow it up. No one will ever take away the light that lights the path. You will always have my guidance. You will always have my nearness. You will always be mine. How do I know? Because I'm infinite and I do not change. How can you assure me? I am with you forever. I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. How do I know for sure? They tried to overcome and they could not. I am 
You are mine, and you are mine forever. He who overcomes, he who overcomes, I will grant to be with me. Why did Jesus come? To give glory to the Father, but also to give goodness to you. And the best thing you could ever have is the love of the Son, the love of the Father, and the hope of all eternity that comes only through the gospel of Jesus. It comes only by grace of God, through faith alone, not depending upon anything else, but resting in the power, the mercy, the love of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the overwhelming love that we know in you, that you've poured out to us in Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you've made known to us that you are eternal in nature, that you have no beginning and no end, and that as a result of that, you don't change. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that in that certainty, that what you have said in your word doesn't change. Regardless of what the world, the society, the culture, uh, how they want to change what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad, what is moral and what is immoral, we know, Lord, that your word stands. And, Lord, we're going to follow your word. Because that's what your children do. And so, Lord, help us in that. We need your strength. We need your endurance. We need your hope to see us through. Thank you for being gracious toward us. Thank you for being patient with us. Lord, as you seek to transform us, we are very insistent oftentimes of resisting your transformation. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to give way. And, Lord, that you would allow your spirit, Lord, to work in us mightily, to transform us and to change us. We love you, and we thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ, our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray.